You're listening to a Leisure Moment podcast with your host, Deetra Helvey, who's always ready to have a casual conversation about her love for literature. Kendra Hiley is super busy. With books published for a variety of ages, the focus for this casual conversation is centered around her science fiction fantasy, Unstrung. We both get a little cranky when we aren't reading or writing. She loves to bake, and I love to eat my mother's baking. Be on the lookout for Mariah's review of Unstrung by Kendra Hiley in the coming weeks. Enjoy! I'm so sorry about that. I tried to open the PDF, and I think it must have been corrupted on my phone because it didn't show me anything. That's okay. And I, I was just looking. I was like, "Well, let me recenter the number." But then you called in, so I'm I'm glad we're connected. <laughs> awesome. How are you this evening? I'm doing okay. Just trying to keep my head above water until Thanksgiving's over. Oh, I understand that. I mean, right now I have a few Facebook friends that are saying, like, is it too early to put my Christmas tree up? Oh, my gosh. I can't even think about that right now. (laughs) Neither can I. And I want to say so bad, yes, it is too early. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. It is too early. The grocery stores all have their stuff up now, and I'm like, oh, not yet. I know. It's tempting. You want to buy something. You want to, you know, buy a new ornament or a bow or something, but I refuse to do it until after Thanksgiving. Me too. So I'm with you on that one. Well, I will tell you that in honor of our casual conversation this afternoon, I enjoyed two pumpkin um, cookies with cream cheese frosting that my mom made this afternoon. Oh, very nice. Because I think I read somewhere that you are into baking and maybe specifically cookies. Yes, I love I love baking, and I love baking cookies. Those are my favorite. But I'll well, bake pies and other things, too. Oh, wonderful. Well, well, I, I enjoyed two in honor of our, our chat tonight. Awesome. <laughs> so I know you're excited about the blog tour for Unstrung. Definitely. Young adult science fiction. Yes, and dystopian. And dystopian, and dystopian. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about Unstrung. Um, it's set in a near future world, probably, I mean, if I had to guess a year, I'd say probably 2150, um, where there's been a massive economic collapse. So it doesn't sound too far-fetched, right? And uh, as a result, a lot of the global governments were overthrown. And in the U.S., you've got city-states that are actually governed by corporations, um, which also doesn't sound too far-fetched at this point. But um, the main character is a young woman named Lexa Page. She's 17, and she is a thief. Um, she showed up on the doorstep of her adopted father's house when she was only 10. She couldn't remember who she was. She didn't know where she was. All she knew was her name. He took her in um, and found out that she was good at getting in and out of small places and climbing things and instead of turning her into the authorities thought hmm she might be a good addition to my crime ring so Mm -hmm. you know being being the um criminal with a heart of gold her adopted father turpin took her in and she's been working for him ever since 
Um, in this particular society, um, the way that people have maintained their kind of their economic ease is that this particular city-state has created and perfected a group of genetically engineered artificial humans. Um, they look like real people. They have mostly the same biological mechanisms as real people. They've just been built. Okay. And um, in some cases, they've been built to be superior to the average human. But they're treated like um, second-class citizens. They have no rights under the law. They're essentially just um, they're just contract labor for the corporation. Um, they don't earn any money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they get room and board or whatever, but they're just basically contract labor. And so they do all the jobs that most of the regular people don't want to do. But they're mistreated, and, um, you know, what their quote-unquote real human counterparts don't realize is just how human this group of people are, and that some of them aren't real happy with what they're doing and want to change their fate and, you know, get their rights under the law as actual genetic, true genetic human beings and stop being treated the way that they're being treated. So we have a little bit of burning bridges, Making Enemies by Lexa, um, some superhumans. How does Quinn come into play? So Lexa and her father and the rest of their group get into some trouble. They go, The opening scene is they go to st- steal a chip from the corporation that has some of the data for an outdated model of artificial. So they're trying to steal enough information to figure out how they're created. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're going to steal a chip that contains some data on an old model of artificial. Instead, they accidentally, although later it turns out it's not so much of an accident, they come away with a chip that has all the data, everything they need to possibly know to build the next generation's artificial human. So when they realize just how much trouble they're in, um, they find out that they also need another piece, a primer to that chip in order to have all the data that they need. And they think that if they can get the rest of that data, they could sell it all on the black market and get enough money to get out of town and be safe and, frankly, quite wealthy for a long period of time and get away from the people who might, you know, kill them for the information that they have. So they stage another robbery for Lexa to go in and pick up a chip that had had the primer, basically kind of the code to be able to crack the rest of the um, plans that they have. And while she's robbing, literally robbing the head of the corporation's house, she meets Quinn. And Quinn knows her. Um, He knows her from before she lost her memory, but she doesn't know him. And so she instantly, you know, tries, you know, doesn't trust him, tries to ditch him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but then, you know, not to give too much away, she finds out something about herself that sends her kind of, you know, out of the safe home, sort of safe home right. that she has, and into mm-hmm. the street, and Quinn's the only person that will stick with her. So she she ends up, you know, going off with Quinn. All right. Well, and it looks like a little bit of inspiration from um, Disney's Pinocchio. Yes. How does that play into into part? Um, there, you know, what I wanted to focus on in this is what does it mean to be a real boy? or a real girl? What does it mean to be actually human? Um, Is it, you know, conscious thought? Is it biology? Is it the ability to know right from wrong? 
you know, what does it mean to be human? And that's a major theme throughout the entire series. So I'm laying the groundwork with this first book, but mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a human being? And at the heart of Pinocchio, that's kind of the same thing. It was a morality right. tale, yes, mm-hmm. but it was really about what makes Pinocchio so different from the rest of us. And, you know, in the end, he becomes a, quote, real boy. Um, and I also threw in some small asides from the actual fairy tale itself. Like there's a, a drug dealer named Candle in Unstrung who is kind of a mirror to Lampwick in Pinocchio. Quinn got his name from Harlequin, which is a puppet that saves Pinocchio's life. Um, and, you know, I just there's, yeah. some, there's some parallels. It's not a one-for-one, one, of course. I mean, it's really more of like the spirit of Pinocchio's in mm-hmm. there. And there's some some asides, but there are some definite parallels to the fairy tale. Well, looking at your um, your website and some of your latest blog posts, you have kind of a little mini-series going on that talks about the expert in writing for for teens. Mm-hmm. And you ha- you've written the contemporary YAP sideline and now um, this YAP piece for sci-fi and fantasy um, it seems like you truly have a a passion of kind of discussing that the the writing process um, for for young adults as well. Talk to us a little bit about your latest post and the um, inspiration of kind of digging deeper into that that feel for YA, not only for for teens but you know for us as adults because we love YA as well. Oh yeah, we do. I did a um... <laughs> I was part of the um, Indie Publishing Roundtable, oh gosh, about a month ago, I think, and um, they wanted to bring in a writer who self-published but also wrote Young Adult because they'd never had anybody from that genre come on, and, um, you know, we had talked a lot about the marketing side of things and how did, you know, how did it work, was it a, you know, a good move and things like that, but I noticed what came up most of all were a lot of questions around the how. You know, how do I make this work? How do I frame a story? I write adult fiction, but I like to write young adult. Um, And so I realized that um, for people who haven't, you know, I know some of us read, I I read almost exclusively YA. That's really where my passion is. And Mm -hmm. um, I started reading, I read YA a little bit when I was actually a teen, and it wasn't a very big field, so I switched to adult fiction pretty early you know, I was about 15 or 16 when I switched to adult fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came back to it shortly after my son was born, and now that's almost all that I read because I think some of the most, you know, rule-breaking and exciting things in books right now are happening in young adult. I, I, um, I would agree. And for yeah. me as well, I remember kind of taking a break from that genre, and then my oldest son is a huge reader. And, you know, he would just have a book in his hand all the time. And so that kind of inspired me. Look, I need to figure out what he's reading, read what he's reading. And then as a teacher, just being able to communicate with students with what they're reading. They think you're the, you know, the coolest teacher on earth when you can talk about those those characters. So I agree. I I have that same relationship with my son, too. And my daughter, she's a little younger, but he's he's a he's in eighth grade and he's reading, you know, he's reading books that I've enjoyed. He finished, just finished reading Scott Wester, uh, Westerfield's um, Leviathan series, because I kind of put that into his hand. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he, you know, he's read everything Rick Riordan's ever written. 
Um, and he just finished the Maze Runner series and things like that. And I'm waiting for him to get just a little bit older before I can start handing him some other things like um, The Curse Workers by Holly Black. I can't wait for him to be just a tiny bit older to read that. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what really got me into it. And I just really, I love the genre. I love the way you can suspend disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it frustrates me sometimes when adults read young adult fiction and go, God, that's so unrealistic. And I'm like, but that's not the point. Right. <laughs> you know, a teen's going to believe that vampires are real and could fall in love with a human girl. Um as long as the heart of the story is true, as long as you know the characters are acting in a way that teens want them to act and recognize how they act, you can you can do almost anything. You can stretch their imaginations a long way, as long as you're treating them with respect, treating their you know going to that place where they are and not being condescending. I mean, you know, it, it's all well and good for people to write books that are you know quote good for people and. Right. You know, sideline the book that I wrote for Entangle Publishing. There's there's definitely a strong message there, but I try to be very careful not to preach anything mm-hmm. because it's better if they can experience something and feel that empathy for that character without you know an overt message. So if you can meet them where they are and tell them a story and you know really both entertain them but also kind of validate the fact that their experiences are normal and you know, people care about them and we don't think, you know, being a teenager is a silly thing. Mm -hmm. That's where the magic really happens. Um, And I think a lot of adults who don't read YA and you see those articles in the newspaper from time to time about how YA is the death of true literature. I I was an English major. I'm here to tell you that young adults, not the end of literature. It's actually something that's getting more and more kids to read and that that to me is the most important thing yes it is you said it right there because I was going to bring up that point as well um you know the the level of YA is just totally different than when I sat in the classroom um you know as a student and to see all the choices that students have today and just to see so many more just really really reading um, because it is, you know, fiction that or writing that they can either relate to or they're they're really entertained and they have a book in their hand and we want them reading. That's that's the ultimate goal. We want them reading. We definitely want them reading. And I, you know, I I read those banned book lists and I laugh when I see something like Captain Underpants or Diary of a Wimpy Kid on there. And I'm like, <laughs> This that that book right there gets a nine year old boy to read. That's yes. just the hardest <laughs> nut to crack. Why are we banning those books if a nine year old boy is carrying a book around in his backpack? Yeah, and let me tell you, my child has them. Oh, yeah. You know, if, when when can I have five dollars? You know, I need to I need to go to Barnes and Noble or I need to go to the Scholastic Book Fair and I need to get this book. It's coming out and they're gonna have it. I mean, that puts a smile on my face. Yeah, me too. Puts a smile on my face. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, your Matt um, Archer series, is that YA or middle grade? It is YA. The first book in the series is kind of a crossover between middle grade and YA. And and being a parent, I'm very sensitive to kind of the age groups and, you know, what to read. And and I kind of judge it on my own, but I try to be a little bit conservative. I'd say that first book's probably appropriate for ages 12 and up. Okay. But as the series progresses, um, the last couple of books are very much YA. 
I would say probably, you know, 13 at least and probably more 14 and up. Okay. Because I wanted to do something that, you know, Harry Potter did just not to the full extent because Harry Potter still in some ways, even though it got more YA, it still stayed a little bit middle grade. Mm-hmm. My books go from, you know, kind of straddling that line to fully YA by the end. Okay. Okay. Well, so um, I read that you get a little cranky when you're not writing <laughs> or reading. So are you like me? You kind of have withdrawals when you don't have like a Kindle or a book in your purse or book bag or whatever. Yeah, I've taken to reading books on my phone at the gym. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yes, I do that as well. I yeah, if, do... <laughs> I, if I'm going to be on the elliptical, I get a book on my my Nook app or my Kindle app and I read it on my phone. <laughs> I am with you on that. I have been known to be at a sporting event and ha- and, and will just bring that Kindle out very quickly because, you know, I need to read. I need yeah, to read. I totally understand. Well, Kendra, it has been wonderful talking to you about all of your books, but especially Unstrung. Um, I can't wait to showcase this podcast for our listeners and readers um, for the blog tour. And thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you have a lovely evening. Thank you. All right, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, if you enjoyed that episode, let us know on iTunes by giving us a great review. We want to thank all our listeners again. Check us out at leisuremoment.com. Like us on Facebook and Twitter. Have a good one.